the reading from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all, in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. This is the word of the Lord. Let us uh, begin. Um, we, uh, for those who are following the, the Christian calendar and the seasons of the church year, today is the seventh uh, Sunday of Easter and it's also uh, the Sunday after Ascension. Now, with the feast day of Ascension being last Thursday, it's appropriate for us to celebrate Jesus' Ascension the following Sunday, which is today. And that is what we're going to do this morning uh, in our liturgy and in our worship and in our preaching. So, this morning, I want to build on the last three weeks of teaching. I know it's Sunday morning and it's still relatively early and it's entirely uh, probable that you still haven't had your coffee quota yet. But <laughs> who, who wants to yell out what the uh, theme we've been building up to in the last three weeks? Who wants to just yell that out? Here's the clue. The answer's behind me on the <laughs> screen. Who wants to yell it out? What's the, what's the theme we've been building up to? Mission, yeah? Mission. We've been building up to mission. So we've been talking about mission uh, and we started on the 30th of April with the mission of Jesus. He is the good shepherd and we are what? No, not just sheep. What are we? Stupid sheep, aren't we? We need Jesus and, and, and we need a saviour. Here's a video clip. So there's Jesus, the good shepherd, pulling you stupid sheep out of the ditch. Okay. There we go. That's us. That is us. 
Amen? Amen. Put two hands up. Oh, me. <laughs> and now on the 7th of May, we, 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 we now know that Jesus is the only way to the Father. So we have a very powerful, life-changing message to share. Now on the 14th last week, we started to look at a strategy for sharing that life-giving missional message. And so today is our missional rally call. Because what happens, or what happened in Acts chapter 1, means we now have something to say. Now is why we must say what we have to say. And so a witness, according to the law of the land, is simply someone who speaks from personal experience about what is true. So the big question this morning is this. How are you doing at telling people the truth about Jesus how are you doing at telling the truth about Jesus because a first-hand witness reports what they have personally seen and what they have personally heard and sometimes in some cases what they have touched in order to establish the authenticity and truthfulness of something there are six questions these questions are called by law reporters questions and they are when who how what where and why and so a reliable witness is one who can testify when something happens who was involved how it unfolded what happened where it took place and why they think it happened and we see all of these elements addressed in acts chapter 1 verses 6 to 7. So first thing a witness establishes is when something occurred. That's the first thing. While the disciples focused on the future, Jesus wanted them to focus fully on the present. We see that in verses 6 to 7. It says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times and seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. The grammatical tense of the disciples' question indicates they repeatedly asked about timing of the kingdom over again, over and over again. It wasn't the first time they asked. This is the grammatical sense of this, or the grammatical tense of this sentence. This is not the first time they asked this question. And given that Jesus often talked about this in passages like Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, where he says, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit down on his, in, in his, glor on, on, on his glorious throne, you, have you who have followed me, will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So their questions were natural, and they actually represent a strong faith in Jesus as the sovereign Lord. These men would one day rule and reign as, king, as, as kings with Jesus in his kingdom. They were also eager to see God's glory fill the earth as well. And they wanted to know if this was the time that it would happen. And so we see that Jesus doesn't rebuke them for their question, but instead he tenderly redirects them. He tells them they don't need to know about the timing. 
because it's time for them to take up the task he has for them now. So a second thought is the disciples' perspective was locked into when God was going to inaugurate his kingdom. However, we see in the first part of verse 8, Jesus telling them who he was going to use to accomplish his work. Who was he going to use? But you, he says. But you. The word but it is a term of contrast suggesting a change of direction. They, they wanted to talk about prophecy. They wanted to talk about dates and times. But Jesus wanted them to focus on proclamation. And sadly, 2,000 years later, the church is still caught up in trying to figure out the time and the seasons, isn't it? When all the time Jesus wants us to focus on proclamation. Verse 7 says, It is not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has fixed by his authority. Jesus wants us to focus on proclamation. And the word you shows this is a personal command for every follower of Christ. One man says, It is our business to get the word of God out into the world. Verse 8 contains the last recorded statement of Jesus in the Bible. Beloved, this final command must be our first concern. Did you hear that? Our, this final command of Jesus, that, that the last thing he said on planet earth, must be our first concern. One man said these words, he said, the local church is the hope of the world. Amen? The local church is the hope of of the world because Jesus continues his work today through individuals and in the institution called the church. The church is not a building to see or a place to sit. The church is a movement to join. Third thought, Jesus not only told them they were the people he wanted to use, he also informed them how he was going to do it in, uh, to do it in the, in the second part of verse 8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, the promise of the Holy Spirit will give them everything they need to do and all they were called to do. The word power is used 10 times in the book of Acts. The Greek word for power is the word dunamis. Dunamis. This is where we get our Greek word, or sorry, this is the Greek word where we get our English words dynamic, dynamo, and dynamite. That's powerful, isn't it? You will receive dunamis when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be dynamic. You will be like a dynamo. You will be explosive like dynamite. Acts 4.31 tells us what happens when Christ's followers were filled with power of the Holy Spirit. It says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was what? Shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We need some shaking, don't we? We need some shaking. One man said these words, It is not you are going to be witnesses and then receive power, but the other way around. You are going to receive power 
and the result of which is you are going to be witnesses. How many grandparents do we have in the church this morning? Stick your hand up. Let me ask you a question. How difficult was it to keep the news about your newborn grandchild to yourself? How difficult was it? I bet none of you could shut up, right? You told the mailman, you told the checkout chick, you told the grocery store guy, you told everybody, right? Yeah, you're laughing. It's true, isn't it? And so too, when the Holy Spirit gives us his power, we cannot stop talking about the new birth. Notice it's not if the Holy Spirit will come upon them. It is when he does. When he does. The Spirit comes. What The Spirit's coming was an historic event. It, this happened on the day of Pentecost and it has taken place immediately upon the conversion of every believer since that day. Don't miss how important this is this morning, beloved. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, we are powerless. Without the help of the Holy Spirit, we are helpless. Without the fortification of the Holy Spirit, we'll be too afraid to speak. But with his power, we can do what we are called to do. And what are we called to do? What are we called to do? We're called to be witnesses, aren't we? That's the plan. That's the fourth thought this morning. Because in the next part of verse 8, we see what the disciples are called to do. And you will be my witnesses. This is both a command and a commission. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, we are powerless. Look again at the phrase, and you will be my witnesses. It's more a matter of being than and less about doing. Jesus doesn't say, you shall do, but he says what? You shall be. Be. Beloved, we have to be something in Christ before we can do anything in Christ. We have to be something in Christ before we can do anything in Christ. We're not merely to bear witness. We are to be witnesses. To put it another way, we are already witnesses. The question is, what is your witness communicating? So here are a few questions to consider. What are people reading when they take a close look at your life? What are you advertising? What kind of witness are you? Jesus says you will be witnesses. There are two meanings of this. First, we are witnesses about Jesus as we report his redemptive work in our lives. And second, we are witnesses of Jesus, meaning we belong to him and are sent out as his ambassadors. A witness is someone who has seen and heard and experienced the explosive life-changing power of Christ in their lives. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 24 verse 48. You are witnesses of these things. Acts 4.20 describes the work of a witness. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. The word witness is found 29 times in the book of Acts. Here's just a few passages, Acts 2:32. This Jesus God raised up, and for that we are all witnesses. 
Acts 10, 39, and we are witnesses of all that he did. Acts 22, 15, for you will be a witness for him to everyone for what you have seen and heard. You don't have to be an expressive evangelist or a persuasive preacher. Our job is not to be prosecutors or even defence attorneys. Our job is simply to be witnesses who report what they have experienced and they know it is true. You don't have to have all the answers to be a witness. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to be, a con you don't have to be convincing. You don't have to be clever. You simply, like the man in John chapter 9, verse 25, I, I, I exhort you to read the whole of John chapter 9. It's a powerful chapter. But in verse 25, this man said, One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Here's one of the best definitions of a witness I've ever heard. A witness is anyone who cooperates with the Holy Spirit in telling others about Jesus. I'm not trying to imply that this will always be easy, my friends. But we don't have to fear when we're simply sharing the facts about what is true. Isaiah 44 verse 8 says, Fear not, nor be afraid. I have not, have I not told you from old and declared it, and you are my witnesses. If you don't have a dynamic relationship with Christ, you will struggle to be in, an engaging witness for Christ. If you do not have a dynamic relationship with Christ, you will struggle to be an engaging witness for Christ. Thought number five, in the last place of verse eight, Jesus makes it clear where he wants his witnesses to witness. It says, in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, I want, well, while he wanted his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the power of the Holy Spirit and then to be witnesses there, Jesus never intended the gospel message to stop there. It's not an either or, but it's an, a both and because we're responsible for reaching the four spheres. We have our own Jerusalem. We have our own Judea. We have our own Samaria. We have, then, then we have the ends of the earth. Luke chapter 24 verses 47 to 49 says, And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, being from Jerusalem. You are witnesses for those things, for these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The first followers of Jesus did such a great job this morning. They did such a great job that their enemies said this about them in Acts chapter 5 verse 28. It says, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching." Wouldn't that be an awesome compliment that we at Holy Spirit Anglican Church were so committed to being a witness for Jesus that our enemy started complaining and said, you have filled Akron with your teaching. Wouldn't that be awesome? Let me flesh this out. Let me flesh Acts chapter 1 verse 8 out this way. Jerusalem, our community, our neighbourhood, right? Judea. 
our county and other parts of Ohio, Samaria, other states, even our nation, the ends of the earth, boom. That's mind-blowing. This sort of stuff gets me excited. But let us at Holy Spirit be faithful first to our Jerusalem. Let us regain the territory that COVID-19 stole from us. Let us be faithful witnesses once again and begin in our neighbourhoods, in our communities, the people who live outside these four walls. We're called to be witnesses, beloved. So we're looking at when, who, how, what and where. Let's end by looking at why we're to be witnesses. Verses 9 and 10, Jesus tells us why we're to be his witness to our neighbourhood and to the nations. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, the words gazing and looking in the Greek mean to fasten the eyes upon or to look intently at something. They are not just, these guys, the disciples are not just standing there in amazement, slack-jawed, okay? In the original Greek, to gaze intently also suggests sadness and brokenness. For the disciples, there was a sense of loss. They had just lost their Lord and friend a second time. However, we are on the other side of the resurrection, aren't we? We are on the other side of the ascension. So we know the story. We know the story. Jesus is not lost. We know where he is. The ascension confirms that what Jesus declared has now been delivered. Hebrews 7.25 Consequently, he is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for us. The implication is clear from the angels. Instead of gazing at or looking up, we are to start looking around. We are to be witnesses while we wait till Jesus, uh, while we wait, Jesus tells us. What does Luke chapter 19 verse 13 say? It says, Jesus says, engage in business until I come. I love the King James Version. It says, occupy until I come. Now, there's an Australian Christian author by the name of Michael Frost. I encourage you to look up his books and research him. He is an awesome um, Christian commentator and Christian communicator. Now, he often parallels the postmodern Christian church. That's us, by the way, okay? The, the postmodern Christian church, that's us. He often parallels the postmodern Christian church with the airline departure lounge. So, we're now saved. And we're in church. We have our passports, our visas, and our boarding pass to heaven. And now we're just waiting for the, for the plane called Jesus to come. 
so that we can so he can take us to heaven. So here's the problem. The plane called Jesus is now delayed 2,000 years. So we have allowed ourselves to be herded into a waiting room, or as Michael Frost says, uh, and imagines, he, he imagines it as an airport departure lounge called the church. If you've ever sat in one of these airport departure lounges, you'll appreciate what I'm about to say now. Most of the people that sit around in those places have expressions on their face that could sour milk. <laughs> they're, they're, they're such a depressive sight, aren't they? Because they don't want to be there. They want to be somewhere else. These individuals have no purpose being there as they poke and touch their iPads or their cell phones or their laptops. And sadly, many 21st century Christian churches are the same. Michael Frost says, Western Christians today are being swept up or being swept away by a culture that is rootless and disengaged, connected to our world more and more through screens rather than face to face. Face to face means we need to be a witness. If we are disconnected, how can we be a witness? In our longing to get to heaven, we see no purpose to be here. We are all waiting with our visas, with our passports, with our boarding passes. We are all waiting for the Jesus plane to come. And many times we complain and murmur because of the delay. However, Jesus never called his followers to do such a thing or to be such a thing. Instead, he calls us to be faithful in doing whatever he gives us to do. Jesus never told us to huddle together in a church building until he returns. What did he say? He said, occupy until I return. He said, engage in business until I return. And so, as I close... Here's a question to ponder. Have you ever wondered why, when God saved you, he left you here on planet Earth? It's a fair question, isn't it? Why wouldn't God just take us to heaven immediately after we get saved? I remember one pastor, we were just talking around having breakfast one day at a, at a business meeting. And so I was a leader in the church. I was a young man. And we were having at a cafe. And he was just lamenting about how people get saved. And then like a week later, they're backslidden. And, and he said, look, can we just get a shotgun at the altar? Get them saved and then just push, send them to heaven, you know. He was joking, you know. This is Australia, by the way. We were joking. But it's, it's true. Have you ever wondered why, when God saved you, he left you here on planet Earth and just didn't take you immediately after you got saved? Because his plan, this is it, his plan is to reach the world through his witnesses. That's why. His plan is to reach the world through his witnesses. And here are two ways to put into practice what we've just talked about so that Christ's last command will be your first commitment. First, grow your faith. You're here for a reason. Grow your faith. What, what, what next step do you need to take spiritually? Ask yourself that question. What step do you need to take spiritually? What's the next step you need to do? For some of you, it might be to get baptized or to make a commitment and put down roots and say, I'm here, God. I'm here to help build your church. So, number one. 
grow your faith. Number two, be a blessing. Be a blessing. In his book, Missional Entrepreneur, uh, Mark Russell summarises a study performed by two different missionary teams in Thailand. One team's strategy was to start a business and focus on blessing people in tangible ways. We could call them the blessers. The second group was also started, uh, and they started a business as well, but their strategy was, was focusing, on, focusing on getting converts. This group could be the converters. The study followed these two groups for five years and found that the blessers had 50 times more conversions than the converters group. 50 times more conversions. The blessers not only had more fruit than the converters, they also made life better for the people in practical ways as well. So, beloved, it's only when we bless people through our witness, when we bless people through our words, that people outside these four walls develop an interest in why we do what we're doing. Begin with prayer. You could pray something like, God, how do you want me to bless the people you have placed in my life? There's a good place to start. Second, listen intently. Take the time to listen to the needs. Listen to the struggles, the pains of people around you. Number three, eat together. Eat together. Look for ways to have a cup of coffee, a meal or pie. Pie and coffee is good, isn't it? <laughs> pie is good. Do that in order to build a connection. Next, serve in practical ways. Look for ways to respond to the need, to the struggles, to the pain of the people that are around you. Share the story of Jesus. When the time is right, share the story of how Jesus Christ has changed your life. So my friends, let's get into practical let, 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 let's get into practice let's get into the practice of asking this question every day God who do you want me to bless today the gospels record 132 contacts Jesus had with people six of these contacts were in the temple four took place in the synagogues and 122 happened with people in mainstream life that's how it goes. That's how it goes. So brothers and sisters, we need to break from the holy huddles. Yeah? We need to get out of the departure lounge and engage in the Lord's business. The effectiveness of our witness is a direct, in direct proportion to how much love we have for the lost people. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for knowing what we need before it is needed. May the Holy Spirit guide us each day to live a life that we can share with others, telling them about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray this prayer in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.